very special day. All the dads that are here today, we appreciate so much uh, the, the fathers that are in service with us. And, you know, on special days, you know, I have taken it as an opportunity to kind of stretch the day. You know, Dr. Brassfield preached for us on Mother's Day, Women of Renown, and it's been on our website, and people have been listening to it, and it's just a tremendous word, tremendous word. And, and, and he stretched that word as well and made it where it wasn't just applicable to, to, the, uh, to the women. It was certainly had a universal application to it, if I can say that. We went through the vein, through the vein of womanhood. Well, today I'm going through the vein of manhood today in that context, if I can use it, you know, respectfully. My heart is truly set on uh, what the Lord has laid on my uh, heart today. I have, I have mused over this for several weeks now. I've come in the full anticipation. I've got my camo shirt on today, so I'm fired up today. Um, but what I want you to, to hear me on today is, is, is this right here. Even though certainly there is a universal application to much that's written in Scripture, we recognize that. But there's some distinction that God intended for us to, to hear by the authors of the New Testament. We're, we're living in a dangerous time, and, and that is that we, we live in a unisex generation that's unbiblical and that's unhealthy for our culture. And, you know, we, we, are, we are readily being sucked into it, if I can use those words and it even infiltrates the church and I've seen arguments made by even people in, in the church and I know that certain doctrines that can you know people go to Galatians where Paul said that uh, you know in Christ there's neither you know male or female or Jew nor Greek or bond nor free but that was the context of being in Christ in Christ there is the universal you know God loves us all equally and he doesn't elevate one above the other. We're all Jew or Gentile, bond or free, rich or poor, male or female. We're, there's an, we're equal in the eyes of God. But that same the apostle that wrote to the Galatian church definitely defined distinctions in men and women and in their role and their place. And we need to recognize that. That's biblical. It's biblical to recognize that God made me distinctly different from a woman. We live in the culture today, I, I recently read where uh, the lesbian uh, mayor of Houston, Texas considered it her crowning achievement at the time of her tenure as mayor that she has made, uh, got, got it passed uh, that all bathrooms across the city, and Houston's a big place, would be unisex. They would, they would take off gender, male or female. Some were protesting, had their picket signs and that's the culture. Now, number one, I don't know why a woman would want to share a bathroom with a man. For the number one. Number two, I have a plan and a course of action that if they would just call me, I could help them with this. And that's every person that's against it. If I was a male in Houston, I would never raise the toilet seat up. And it won't take long before there is a riot of ladies. They will storm the city hall of Houston and demand a distinction in their bathroom facilities. <laughs> Don't ask me how I know that. <laughs> That's the culture in which we live in today. Now, there are some things that are a little bit trivial, but there are some times that you just got to say, man, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. God has made me this way and created a distinction in my life. Today I'm going to really go to the, talking to the men today, and I'm going, to, I'm, going to, I'm going to hasten towards a particular subject. I have some scriptures that we're going to turn to, but not just yet. That's going to be found in 1 Chronicles 12. But I'm going to take a long journey to get there first because it's important that you understand the context of this passage of scripture. So let's take a, just a brief prayer. Typically, we would stand and honor the Lord, but I'm going to just hold that off. You know, I'm a firm believer in that. Practice it every week. But let's just say a brief prayer. Father in heaven, my heart trembles today, God, with anticipation to share what's on my heart. But I don't want what's on my heart to be just flesh. I don't want it to be, God, just my uh, estimations or my assumptions. I want this to be the authoritative word of God. Father, for that's the seed that will... Father, bring forth a return. That's the seed that will bring forth change. And God, is, I've read the scriptures and I see the comparisons concerning sowing seed that, Father, if it's going to be productive, it must fall on good ground. 
And so a prayer today is simple, that the church would be good ground. The listening ears of our audience today, Father, would receive this good word, Father, in the name of Jesus. I thank you for it. And all God's children said amen and amen and amen. Let me take a moment to kind of, before we actually read some of the passages of 1 Chronicles today, let me just talk about the book of 1 Chronicles so that you understand the particular context. Because if you're searching for the book and you see how it begins, it begins with a, a, a chronological lineage of the people of God, not beginning at Moses and the giving of the covenant at Mount Sinai, not beginning at Abraham. But these writers go all the way back to Adam, begin to trace the lineage of, of Israel. Then it gets divided up per the 12 tribes. It begins to list the fathers of the tribes and it begins to list their descendants. Now, Oddly enough, it seems to be a book, I'm certainly not the authority concerning this, but the information that seems to be accumulated seems to be have gathered over a periods of not just, uh, just a particular era, but, uh, but, but through several time frames because it culminates with the dispersal of the children of Israel to Babylon, the destruction of the, of the city. But so as you go from 1 Chronicles chapter 1 and you begin to journey through like chapters 5 and 6, and, and I understand that a lot of times that's not the most exciting reading that you read in Scripture, that this person, this person, and this person, and these lineages. But something shifts about the 7th chapter that begins to set a measure of the context for uh, much of the remainder of the book because then the, the context mentions that in the time of David, in the time of David, and that's carried for chapter 7 and chapters 8 and chapters 9, and then it picks up the story of Saul in the 10th chapter. And it's in the 11th and the 12th chapters that I've extracted a lot of the information that I'm going to be sharing with you today. And then the book takes a, a, a quantum leap in, in sense of, the, of its purpose beginning in the 13th chapter when that's the story where they, 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 they failed attempt to move the Ark of the Covenant to the newly established you know, uh, capital city of Jerusalem and then ultimately in the 15th chapter where they were actually able to transition the, uh, the Ark correctly. And the rest of the book deals primarily with the temple and the, the worship and all those things. So, so, so when you read the book, you I just wanted you to real quickly just kind of see it. But my attention sometimes has just been captured there in that 7th chapter just slightly, but certainly in the 12th and the 11th chapter. But the context in the 10th chapter, though, begins to, is where the true transition begins at the end when it's refer, referencing Saul. Now, Saul was the first appointed and anointed king of Israel. He comes to Israel in response to the cry of the people. The people wanted a king. God didn't necessarily have designed them to be led by a king. He designed them to be led by an anointed priesthood and that everybody had access to the provisional blessings of God. But the people in their desire to be like the other nations had desired a king. And so God chose Saul, Benjamite. And he uh, was a man that stood out amongst his peers. He was a man of gifts and talents, and, and yet he was not always you know, certain of those gifts, and he didn't initially uh, recognize that that call was valid, but, but he eventually, you know, uh, accepted that call, and he functioned as the king for a period of time. Now, the story of Saul's life is a, is a story of tragedy because there were two tipping points in his life when he failed, and he failed miserably. He was given instruction by Samuel to go and wait seven days for him before he would launch into a military ca uh, campaign against the Philistines. Wait seven days. When those seven days are up, I'll come down, I'll meet you there, and we'll offer sacrifice, and we'll trust the Lord. Well, at the end of the seventh day, uh, Samuel hadn't quite made it there yet, and Saul got anxious, and he offered the sacrifice. And as soon as the smoke's leaping up off of the altar, Samuel appears, and he says, why are you doing this? Why, why didn't you fulfill the word of the Lord and wait on me? And so he said, because you've done this, he said, he said, your kingdom will not continue or your lineage, your succession of, the, of your sons will not uh, be, be king. And so that was the, the first of two critical moments of, of failure. The second of which was probably even greater than the first. And that was when God had said, I want you 
to judge Amalek, the Amalekites, for, for how they treated Israel when they came out of Egypt. And they were the first to have brought war upon Egypt and, or upon Israel. And God said, I have not forgotten this, and I have reserved judgment until this day, and I want you to utterly destroy the Amalekites. And I know that seems violent to us today, but it was a part of the culture. He said, don't leave any alive from great to small, male or female. Don't leave any of the animals alive. And, and if you're familiar with the story, you understand that Saul, in his desire to please the people, reserved the best animals for sacrifice, and he also failed to kill the king, Agag. Uh, and when Samuel uh, recognizes this, he's en route, and he hears the bleeding of sheep in his ears, and he goes to Saul, and he says, Saul, what's the bleeding of sheep that I'm hearing? And he said, well, I've saved these for sacrifice. And it was there that his kingdom, it was there that God said, I'm finished with you because I gave you an authoritative word that you're to fulfill my word and you have failed to do so. And, and, and as Samuel pronounces that judgment on Saul, he turns to walk away and, and Saul grasps hold of his garment because he wants him to worship with him so that Saul is still esteemed in the eyes of the people. He's always concerned about pleasing people. That's a dangerous place to be in. To always be concerned about pleasing people rather than pleasing God. And as he had the garment in his hand, uh, Samuel, when he turned and moved away, this, the, the garment was rent. And the prophet announced a prophetical word to the king. And he said, God has rent the kingdom away from you because of your disobedience to the world. I would rather obey God than obey man. Whether anybody gives us accolades or not, I would rather walk alone and know that I have fulfilled God's purpose for my life than to fall subject to the whims of the crowd. Well, Samuel is dejected. He's dejected because he had, he had believed that Saul could do great things. And he's dejected and he's mourning over Saul when, when the Lord comes to Samuel, perhaps through a vision or a dream, and he says, How long will you mourn for him, seeing I have rejected him as king? And he said, I want you to go fill your horn with oil because I've got somebody out there. How many of you know God's always got somebody else? God's got somebody else. And he said, he's a man after my own heart. He said, the sons of Jesse. And he said, I want you to go to Bethlehem and pronounce a feast and call his sons to the feast. And there I want you to anoint my king. And so Samuel goes with that horn of oil. He speaks with Jesse. He says, bring me your sons. They begin from the eldest all the way to the youngest. And the first time Samuel looked at the eldest, he saw him. He was a man of great stature. He was, uh, he was uh, beautiful to look upon. He seemed to be gifted. And he said, surely that is the Lord's anointed. And the Lord heard that voice in his, in his heart. And he said, you're looking on the outside because man looks on the outside. He said, but God looks on the heart and I've not chosen him. And he went all the way through the six sons of Jesse only to say, well, is there any more? And Jesse said, well, there's one yet, and he's in the sheepfold. And he said, we will not offer a sacrifice. We will not close the service. We will not have a meal until you go and get him. And when Samuel laid eyes on young David, 17 years of age approximately, he was ruddy, the Bible says, which means reddish. He was of a beautiful countenance. And when he saw him, the quickening of the Holy Spirit inside of him said, that is the one. I want you to anoint him. And in the presence of his brothers, Samuel took that horn of oil and poured it over the head of David. And the anointing of God came upon him from that day forward. The Bible says that God took of the spirit that was upon Saul, the Holy Spirit, and he put an anointing upon David. And an evil spirit from that day forward began to trouble Saul. And oddly enough, David, at the time of his anointing, there sometimes is the difference between the time of your anointing and the time of your appointing. He was anointed to be king, but he he was not yet appointed to be king. And so he was actually sent back to the sheepfold. And that's where you and I can always glean some things in our life. And that is because there are some, some, some what we might believe are minute tasks that God has us to do because those are training mechanisms for us for what is yet in front of us. And I believe after the anointing of God came upon David, it was then that he would later testify in the 17th chapter when he was before Saul when no man was willing to fight 
fight the Goliath. You remember this story, 17th chapter of 1 Samuel, the giant Goliath is coming down every day for 40 days and he's cursing the God of Israel and he's challenging the host of Israel to send a man to fight him and not a single man has the courage to come out of his tent. But when David arrives with wine and with cheese in his hand, sent from his father to his sons, his eldest three brothers have gone to the war, he hears the accusations of Goliath in the valley of Elah and he says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Shall there not come a champion out of Israel that he'll fight him? And no man had the courage. And David said, don't let any man's heart fail him for fear, for I, the servant of Saul, will go and fight him. And they took that young man and brought him before the king. And, and when the king saw him, I imagine when word got to Saul and said, hey, somebody has finally agreed. Finally somebody. I'm sure he's thinking, man, who is this? He can't wait to see him. Hulk Hogan's going to walk out, walk through the, through, the, uh, tents of his, of his, or through the curtains of his tent. And here comes a 17-year-old. That's why you never underestimate who's in the ISM youth group. You never underestimate. You never know. You never know. And David comes in, and when Saul sees him, he says, You are but a youth, and that's a man of war since his earliest of days. He's been trained for this moment. But see, David had been trained as well. But David wasn't fighting against armies of other opposing nations. But he said, I was in the sheepfold after I had been anointed by my father, by, anointed by God. He said, And a lion came out of the darkness and took a sheep. And a bear came out and took a sheep. And I didn't have a weapon in my hand, but I I had the anointing of God upon my life. And I rushed to them to rescue the sheep, the, the sheep out of the mouth of the lion and out of the mouth of the bear. And he said, I know one thing, that the God that delivered uh, the lion and delivered uh, me from the bear, that same God is going to deliver that uncircumcised Philistine into my hand. Glory to God. You know the story with a sling and a stone. David took the life of Goliath and when it did, it launched him into national prominence. He became a legendary figure. He could no longer go and live back in his house. He was brought to the house of Saul. His gifts began to emerge. He was placed over the army of Saul, and he behaved himself wisely. Even at difficult times, he behaved himself. He was honorable to the king. He was always respectful of leaders. How many of you know that's an important thing? Always respectful of leaders. And, and, but, but Saul's jealousy burned against him without preaching the whole context of the story. It was eventually determined it was no longer safe for David to live in the house of Saul. And on a fateful day, he was sent away from his dear friend Jonathan, and he was a fugitive into the wilderness of Judea. He first goes to Nob where he obtains the sword of Goliath. It was there that the tabernacle of Moses was and they had hid the sword of Goliath in the tabernacle since the day that David had won the victory. And it was there that David got and conspired a plan thought to himself, there's one place I can go where Saul won't look for me. I will go to the Philistines and I'll hide there because he won't look for me in the land of our enemies. And he went there and the story's found in 1 Samuel chapter number 21 because as he comes there, the king gives him refuge but the other Philistine lords say, is not this David that they sing about in their victories over our armies? And they determined that they would take him and kill him. And when David hears of the plot, he realizes he has made a very, very bad mistake. And so that's the passage of Scripture where David lets this spittle fall upon his beard. He begins to scratch on the wall, begins to scratch on the wall and, and act like a, a, a madman. The Bible says in King James English, he feigned himself mad. And when Achish saw him acting like a madman, he said, who is this madman with this folly. Get him out of my presence. And the Bible says he escaped. I'm telling you, sometimes the anointing will help you escape a bad situation. And the anointing of God had caused him to escape. 1 Samuel 22 says, and David went to the cave of Adullam. And it was there that a revolution was born. It was there that a transition began to occur in the kingdom of ancient Israel because David was just one man or maybe a, uh, one man amongst just a small group of men. But there was a group there that recognized something wasn't right and they began to transition transition to David's side. But this group of men is recorded in 1 Samuel 22. They were not the prized warriors of ancient Israel. They were, the Bible says, discontented, 
in distress and in debt. They said, what do we have to lose? We don't have much going on in our lives anyhow. And so they found allegiance with David. And the Bible says David became a captain over them. It's about 400 men. And so that's the start of the story of David's life when he's a fugitive before Saul and he handles himself wisely. And during this time period, though, this is where we're going to pick up in just a moment of time. During this time, David by the miraculous power of God is preserved from the life or from the vengeance of Saul on several occasions. And all the while he handles himself wisely. He will never touch the anointed of God. He will never touch the anointed of God. Two occasions he's given the opportunity to kill Saul and he will not. How many of you know God will fight your battles for you? When you trust the Lord, come on, God's got you in the palm of his hand. He watches. He that keepeth Israel shall not slumber and he shall not sleep. God's our shield and our buckler. Glory to God. Uh, Come on, somebody. He'll send a troop in front of us and he'll put a troop behind us and he'll put a shield and a buckler to our side because he's just that kind of God. Uh, And the scripture tells us, though, that this is where we're going to begin to pick up the account in 1 Chronicles. Now, this is during a time of transition in the kingdom. People began to recognize the failure of Saul and his failed policies and practices, his uh, failed agenda, his failure before God to believe God. And men began to gravitate towards David. They began to gravitate towards the call of God that's upon his life. At first, it was just the distressed men, the discontented and those that were in debt. But when they began to observe how David handled himself wisely, how that God was prospering him, whatever he set his hand to do, how that God God preserved his life and kept him from harm when anyone else would have been found out and destroyed and how that God was keeping him. Then there began to be an exodus from those that had aligned themselves with Saul and with those that were aligning themselves with David. And it was here that I'd like to put some scriptures on the screen for us to just begin to just journey through. We're going to glean through these quickly, but they're going to set a precedence for the end of my message today because now is when we're going to begin to kind of connect to the context that I believe God wants every man under the sound of my voice to hear today. So if we can begin in 1 Chronicles chapter number 12, verse number 1, it says, There are those that came to David at Ziklag. While he was yet kept himself close because of Saul, the son of Kish. So the context is David is at Ziklag, keeping himself close, but Saul is still in pursuit of him. And it says as we turn to that, they were the mighty men, helpers of the ward. The first verse, they were the mighty men, helpers of the ward, distinct from those that were discontented, in debt, and distressed. The second verse, it says here, they were armed with bows. They could use both the right hand and the left hand in hurling stones and shooting arrows out of a bow. For our coaches that are here today, can you imagine somebody that could shoot a three-pointer with the right hand and then a three-pointer with the left hand? He could shoot a bow with the right hand and the left hand. He could be accurate in hurling a stone against his adversary. And he even came out of Saul's own household. Let's follow these verses here. The eighth verse, I believe, is our next verse. Of the house of the Gadites that separated themselves unto David and to the hold, to the wilderness, there were men of might, there were men of war, they were fit for the battle. This didn't just uh, arrive at a day where they were like, man, we got to get ourselves in shape. No, they were already in shape. There are sometimes you cannot wait for the battle to begin to go start to train. Come on, somebody. They were prepared for the battle in advance. They were fit for the battle. They could handle shield and buckler. Their faces were like the faces of lions. They were fierce and they were swift as the rose upon the mountains. This is my way of... Can y'all work with me here? You feel you feel that? These are they that went over Jordan in the first month. Those of us that went to Israel and Dr. B, they put a mark on the wall when the Israel overflow when the when the when the Jordan overflows its bank at full. It was it could be 15 to 20 foot above flood stage. And they went over the Jordan in the first month without a ferry. And they they just swam across it because they were so passionate for this revolution that had begun. And they put to flight all the enemy that was on the other side, on the east and on the west side. Let's row. And they came to the children of Benjamin and Judah to the hold and to David. And David went out to meet them because some of these men, especially those of Saul's household that are coming out to meet them, David said this to them. I love this passage of Scripture because there's, I tell you, I don't have any problem with challenging people's motives when they come to the church. 
Because just because you come in here does not mean that some of the motives that you possess inside are going to mesh with the, with the vision of this house. And so David confronts what's going on in their heart. And he said, look, if you come peaceably unto me to help me, my heart's going to be knit to you. But if you've come to betray me into the hands of my enemies, you can find you a new church. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? And so when, when they, the brothers hear this, then look what happens. The Spirit of God comes upon a man by the name of Amasai, 18th verse, I believe it is. And it says uh, uh, in the 18th verse, the Spirit of God comes upon him. And he says, David, we are yours, son of Jesse. Peace be unto thee and peace be unto your helpers. For God helps thee. The Holy Ghost confirmed that moment that these men were being sent by the divine, divine direction of God to aid him in accomplishing the divine will of God for his life. And we're going to journey through some of these very quickly, but I want you to see with me today. I want you to catch some of just the, the uh, perhaps the right words or the acronyms or that are describing these men. Let's follow it down very quickly if we can uh, feel today. They helped David. Look at this. They were all, what were they? In the past, the only people that were coming to David were discontented, distressed, and in debt. But now the men that are coming to him are mighty men of valor. Men that were captains of the hosts. At that time, day by day, they came to David to help him until it was a great host like the host of God. These are the numbers of the bands that they came, and here was their purpose, to turn the kingdom of Saul to him according to the word of the Lord. That's why we pray, Father, not my will, but thy will be done in the earth. That's why we need great men to arise in this church family and say, Father, I'm tired of the kingdoms of this world dominating the culture and the climate of this earth. But, Father, let your glory, your light, your love, your presence, and your power be felt in the earth as it is in heaven to transition it to the kingdom of God. Children of Judah that could bear the shield, they were ready and they were armed to war. Children of Simeon, mighty men of valor. Mighty men of valor. We got to go real quickly now. We'll turn it. Children of Levi, numbers real quickly. 27, Jehodiah, just numbers that are mentioned. 28 verses, notice this, Zadok, straight from Jojo's youth group, ISM. A young man, mighty of valor. I tell you, I hear the sound of the Holy Spirit calling men to a new plane today. I hear the Holy Spirit calling me into a new place. It's time for you to stop playing church and realize that we are a part of a revolution that is in the earth right now. And we don't have time to babysit you. We don't have time to pat you on the back. We need you to come into this house every day and say, I'm a part of a revolution of righteousness that is in the earth. It is time for the church to stand up, stand out, and stand loud for God. And we need men to lead at the forefront of this revolution. That's what we need. Even young men... This is a powerful exhortation. Go back real quickly to the sons of Benjamin. Most of the house of Benjamin followed, followed Saul, the next one over. Most of the house of Benjamin, that was Saul's lineage. That was his family tree. Most of them kept the ward. But can you, do you imagine the, 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 the courage that it took for the kindred of Benjamin to, to break away? To break away and say, I'm going with David. Are you understand what I'm saying? I'm gonna challenge you in just a moment. We're just this is the text, verse 30. Follow with me. The children of Ephraim, 20,800. What were they? Notice this. The name of my sermon today. What is the name of my sermon? Mighty men of valor. They were famous throughout the house of their fathers. 31st verse. Half the tribe of Manasseh, they were expressed by name, but their names are omitted in the passage of Scripture. See, sometimes you can be unnamed but not unknown. Listen, nobody may know my name across the world, but I don't have to feel like I am unknown. God knows me. Come on, somebody. The culture and the climate of our community needs to know. Come on, somebody. Unnamed but not unknown, making a difference in the kingdom of God. 32nd verse. The children of Issachar, it's a very important verse of Scripture, and I'm going to allude to this one in just a moment of time. You've heard it before, but you haven't heard it many times in its right context, and I'm going to clarify it for you in just a moment. They were men that had understanding of the times, and they knew what Israel ought to do. They knew what Israel ought to do. They were, head, they were heads of their fathers, and let's go forward, of their brethren, of Zebulun. Look at this. They were expert in war, all instruments of war. 50,000 could keep rank. I was in the armed forces for nine years to understand what it means to keep rank. 
I understand that you've got to be in authority and under authority. Some people, especially men sometimes, are so, uh, so, so, so proud, proudful that we fail to submit to anybody. And therefore, we rob ourselves of the anointing that God can have for us because the anointing flows through the head. And when we don't put ourselves in the place where there's an anointed man uh, over our lives, then God is limited in how he can use us in the earth. It's an arrogance and it's a, pr- it's a proud for spirit to, that robs us of being who God's called us to be. We can keep rank and we can say, yes, sir. Come on, somebody. We can. It's what the scripture says. They could keep rank. They were not of a double heart. They weren't double-minded. They weren't hot one day and cold the next. They weren't for David one moment and for Saul the next. They had set their hearts. They sold themselves out. I'm looking for a generation of men that are selling themselves out for the kingdom of God. Coming to church is not what you do. You are the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're the people of God. We're sold out to a purpose that's greater than we are. We build upon the faithful lineages of those that have gone before us, our predecessors, and we will establish for our successors uh, that we will allow them to build upon what we have done. I want to receive all that my, God, my, my dad has for me, and I want to walk in that, and I want to exceed the things that he's done. And then I want my sons to take all that I've had, all that God's given me, and I want them to go far beyond wherever I have been able to go because we take what we've been given to us and we we build upon it and we move ourselves forward in the kingdom of God. On and on it goes. Just a couple more verses. The Danites, they were expert in war. 36th verse. They went forth to battle. They were expert in war. 37th verse. The half tribe of Manasseh with all manner of instruments of war for the battle. Last verse. And the, all these men, look at this, that could keep rank, that could keep rank, came to David to make him king over all Israel. And all the rest of Israel were of one heart to make David king. I'll tell you, men, you don't understand your impact. It started with the men, but it reverberated to the rest of the nation. You know, studies show us today that will turn the church around will be when men find the rightful place. Come on, you know what will turn the family around when men find the rightful place? Studies show us today that if a man, if there is a, if there is a absentee father and if there is a, uh, a father that fails to be the person that God has called him to be, then there will be a, a succession of brokenness in the home. But when a man assumes his rightful place as the leader of his home and understands that he is blessed to be a blessing and that the favor and the anointing of God is upon his life and that he has life and death in the power of his tongue and he can bless his sons and daughters in the anointing and in the power of God, then studies show us that those children will do great exploits in the earth. Uh, I know there's always exceptions to the rule, but I'm just talking about in the general sense. Uh, There is the promise to us as fathers that if we decide we're going to serve God, we're sold out, we're going to fulfill the call of God upon our life, then it's going to bleed over and it's going to make all of our families come together in unity for the purpose of the kingdom of God. Does that make sense to you today? These men caught my attention. I've contemplated some of the words, mighty men of valor. What do you want to be known as? What's your legacy? Is your legacy going to be your occupation? Or is it going to be who you are and who you affected in the kingdom of God? Is it going to be your sons and your daughters, your children, your spouse, how you learn to live, love, and lead? Church family, we need an awakening of men in the church. I'm just being honest with you. It's not time to be passive any longer, guys. I'm, the, 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 let me go to this verse of Scripture, and I'm going to share with you what I believe. I'm going to make the transition real quickly today, and I'm going to make it personal to you, to our times, and to our season, and then we're going to close with a time of prayer of a gift for all the men today in Jesus' name. But I want you to see this very quickly. This verse of Scripture that stood out was the 32nd verse, the sons of Issachar. The sons of Issachar had understanding of the times, and they knew what Israel ought to do. And so what what that is saying to us is is this right here. The sons of Issachar recognized that God had pronounced the kingdom of Saul to be uh, insufficient and had withdrawn his blessing from it. Now, there's a part of us that we want to to have allegiance 
uh, especially in the area of government at times. And this is not a, a necessarily a, a governmental moment or a sermon, but in that sense, you know, uh, think about that for a minute. A lot of people served in Germany in the war and didn't believe in the objective of it, but they just found themselves in the grip of that they would serve those that were over them. But the sons of Issachar understood, they knew the times. They knew that God was no longer blessing the kingdom of Saul. And they said, you know what? We could keep doing that and we could do our best to create a resistance movement against David and find ourselves fighting against God. Or we can accurately discern the times and we can say, you know what? I'm going to make a shift. I'm going to make a change. Now is the time for me to join the revolution and be a part of the kingdom transitioning in the direction that God has ordained it to go. The reason why I've want to narrow for just a moment this word to this church family. Let me tell you, the times are upon us. The evil day has befallen us. The nation of America is not the nation that it was 50 to 60 years ago. A cultural shift has taken place. Those that have come out of the closet and all kinds of other immorality is loud. While the church is silent and the church is quiet. And we have to arrive at the place where we can say, you know what? We don't walk in anger or bitterness and we're not fighting against other people. But we are no longer going to be silent. We're no going to allow the iniquities of men to dominate the culture. And we're going to lift up our voice and believe the righteousness, that righteousness can make a difference. That the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ can still convict the heart of a hardened sinner. And in one moment of time, God can transition him from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of God's dear son. We believe it with all of our heart. The power of the gospel to change lives. And so we've got to recognize that a change has occurred and we've got to be prepared for it as a fellowship. Let me say this to you today very quickly, to the men of our church for just a moment. A shift must be made. You and I must recognize that we have to break free from a distorted culture. Come out from among them, among them and be ye separate, the Bible says. Who wrote that? The apostle, Amen. Paul. This is not a creed. This is not from Springfield, Missouri. This is not from Pastor Brown. Come out from among them and be ye separate and touch not the unclean thing and I'll be your father and you'll be my children. That's the word to us today. Break free and join a spiritual resistance and a revolution. The call to men is great. You know what we need in our culture today? We need mighty men of valor. The word valor in Greek means to be mighty. It means to be strong. It means to be a champion. It means to excel. We need men that will, will walk in holiness and righteousness before God. I'm not challenging you to take up the unholy sword of jihad, but I am challenging you to take up the holy sword of the Spirit. I'm challenging you today. We don't war after the flesh, but we war after the Spirit. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal through God. They're not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. I know we have a lot of things today in the, in the, in the shift of, the, of, of some believe in, 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 in full disclosure of your Second Amendment rights and, and some believe in, 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 in that, that, well, only a few need them. And I'm not going to make that argument today because my frustration is not about people that are, that are handling uh, weapons in the natural. My frustration is, is that we got men in our church that know how to fire weapons that are in their closet, but they don't know how to pray. We've got men in the church that know how to shoot an M16 like I was trained in the military. I was an expert marksman in the military with an M16 and some of you were as well, but you don't know how to call upon the name of God. You don't know how to draw the sword of the Spirit. You don't know how to lift up your voice. You don't know how to pray over your children till heaven comes upon them and a change has worked in your life. It's time for us to take up arms, but not the arms of this world, but the arms of the Word of Almighty God. I'm challenging the men. Enough is enough. God is calling us on this Father's Day to become mighty men of valor, righteous before the Lord, walking in love and faith and grace and anointed of God. We're not angry at anybody but the devil. But we are angry at him. He is our enemy. He's a thief. He comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. But Jesus came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. He is our adversary, and we resist him in the faith 
by the power and the authority of the name of Jesus Christ. We are frustrated because of the culture in which we live in and the silence of the church and the distortion that we see in the church. But we believe that God has a resistance and a revolution that is taking place. He's raising up. Maybe one day, maybe one day, they will write in the annals of human history and they will list Heber Springs. And they'll say, from the Heberites came a group of men. We might not be great in number. We might be 70 men to 100 men. They may not call anybody by name. They might not mention Joe, Joe, Shane, or Pastor Brown. But from the Heberites, come a group of mighty men of valor anointed of the Holy Ghost that stood up and made a difference in their family, in their home, in their community, and in their nation. Glory to God. Glory to God. So today, men, I want to challenge you. Take up the sword of the Spirit and wage your warfare in the realm of the Spirit. You need to be a man who understands that you are called and gifted of God. I'm tired of men saying, I, I don't know. Well, Learn! If you don't know how, then learn. God, you'll spend all that time and resource learning how to do everything that's one of your toys. Right? As men age, they don't give up their toys. They just get more expensive toys. And we'll spend all of this energy and time and effort learning these to- how to play with these toys and we don't even know how to, pre- to speak the Word of God, how to pray the Word of God, how to walk in righteousness and holiness, how to get alone with God and call heaven down and feel the presence of Almighty God. Shame on us, men. Shame on us. Be taught of God. Learn. Prepare yourself. Develop your gifts. Examine yourself. Know your gifts and know your callings. When when David went into the household of Saul and he was going to fight the giant, they tried to put the armor on him. They gave him a sword. They gave him a mail coat and put a hat on his head. He said, I don't know about this. I've not proven it, but I have proven that sling. Glory to God. I don't have the greatest of sermons. I don't have the greatest oratorical ability. I know that. I lack the, the enough English language to impress you by my preaching. But there's one thing I know. I've got an anointing upon my life, and I'm going to exercise that anointing to challenge you to be the person that God has called you to be. How we need the anointing, men that develop their gifts and they they study their weaponry that will engage the adversary, that will engage the adversary in prayer. Men who become famous in their houses, famous in their houses. We've heard so much about the generational curse. You've heard me say countless times, what about the generational blessing? Men become famous in their houses. They become chief and they become leaders. You know what, church family, that we need to know how, men, we need to know how to love and lead our families well. Come on, love and lead our families well. We are unnamed, but we are not unknown. We discern the time, and we know that now is the time to transition. God has rejected Saul. The culture and the climate of America has failed us. Leadership moved by the whims of the people rather than the word of God, even in the church. Are y'all hearing me today? Even in the church, a leadership that is moved by the whims of the people rather than the word of God. Listen, somebody was teasing me the other day and just saying, you know, Pastor Brown, you're not careful, you get voted out of your church. Let me tell you how I feel about things like that. I'm going to be honest with you today. Now, I believe in the, 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 the legal system of the Assemblies of God and the governmental system of the Assemblies of God, but I had an anointing upon my life before I became part of the Assemblies of God. And I had a call of God and I had a prophetical word upon my life when I was 17 years old that God said, Lee Brown, God's going to use you to stir this area up by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if this church family rose up tomorrow and said, you know what, I'm going to vote Pastor Brown out of this church, you know what, that's fine. Because next week, somewhere in some building, on some street corner in Heber Springs, I would be standing on a platform and I would lift my voice up and I would preach under the anointing of God because I'm not going to be moved by the whims of the people. I'm going to be moved by the call and the power and the presence of God in my life. I'm sold out for Jesus Christ and His call and His kingdom and I'm challenging men. Now is the time for you to become the person that God wants you to be and the man God's called you to be. Daryl, would you join me in closing today? Older men and young men whose heart is pure, who can keep rank in the fellowship. I have pastors in my life that I call pastor. I have friends in my life that I esteem greatly and I glean from the gift and the call and the maturation of their faith. I know how to keep rank and I hope that you do as well. We are in authority, but we are also under authority. We work. I'm asking for men today 
men who will work with us, not against us. Men that have the spirit of Amasai today upon them. Men that say, God, I recognize now's the season. I close my sermon. Here's my conclusion. Just a few words. It says this. I asked a question. I penned it, closed it with the question mark. Are you a mighty man of valor? Just that simple. Just that simple. I'll tell you, it's Father's Day. There's nothing that I value more than being a dad. You know, some men were created to to fight. You know, me and my son Anthony watched about George Patton last night. We watched about Douglas MacArthur on the battlefields of Europe in World War I and World War II. I'll tell you who I was called to be. I was called to be a dad. I'll tell you, it's my passion for my sons and my daughters, an anointing. And if I can just challenge men, we may be unnamed, but we don't have to be unknown. You know, the reason why I chose 1 Chronicles 12 versus 1 Chronicles 11, in 1 Chronicles 11, it mentioned almost all the men by name. They were the 30 men of David. David's 30. Then there were David's three. These were the real, you know, they were called out. But in 1 Chronicles 12, wasn't hardly anybody called by name. They were just the unnamed people that said, you know what, this is my season to count, to count. You know, I don't know. The church has grown so passive in our culture today. We prop people up and, you know, we're afraid to offend people. You know, I, I just, I, you know, to me, that's a stench in the nostrils of God. There are times the word just gets down in my business. You know, the word corrects me. There's no correction that I really enjoy, but I respond to it. Are y'all hearing me today? I mean, nobody, Dr. Brass and I had that conversation. Nobody, my sons definitely did not enjoy daddy's correction, but it made them fine young men. Come on, we need preaching that sometimes has a correction element to it. Come on, somebody, so that we can, be, uh, we can be pliable children of God before the Father, hungry for all that God has for us. And so today, I, there is certainly a universal application to the message. This is not just for, for men in that sense, I understand, but I tell you, it's directed towards men. It's directed towards men. I just want to ask the men of this church for a few moments today of your time. I don't know what time it is. It is 12.02. I just believe that, you know, something powerful can just start within you when you just kind of surrender to God and say, God, you know, I don't know how to do some of the things the preacher was talking about doing. And I don't even know necessarily the plan that I'm taking, but God, I just want to start by walking in integrity, submissive to the Lord. I want to start by leading. You say, sometimes dads get asked to pray, you know, amongst their family, and they don't know how to pray you know, in public. Well, I'll tell you how to learn how to pray in public. Pray in private. Pray in private and you'll learn how to pray in public. Pray audible. Sharpen yourself up. Come on, guys, in Jesus' name. This is our time. This is our time to, to take our rightful place. You know, one thing I get tired about in what's called men's ministry, it's an ebb and flow. It's hot and it's cold. As long as you're cooking a steak on the grill, you got a big group. As long as you're showing the ball game here on a Saturday afternoon, you got a big group. This is not what, that's not what this is about. This is about you learning to live and love and lead your family well. That's what it's about. That's all, that's my cry to you today. And so I just want to ask men, especially today, to search their heart and mind and just come to that place. Can you imagine what it was like back long years ago when David, you know, David did not necessarily send out a, a, a cry like I am. I'm, mine's necessarily kind of like a plea, an opportunity to say, will you join us? That kind of thing. I think they just, they just recognized. They, sons of Issachar, they knew. They discerned the times. Saul had been rejected. This was the way to go right here. God was blessing this time right here. And so they, they moved in that direction. Can you imagine what it was like when, I don't know if they went by horseback or whether they walked, when they had to, they, had to, they said goodbye to mama. They were young, said goodbye to their spouses. They didn't know if they had said, some of those men died in battle. Did they not? They died in battle. And so can you imagine what that was like when they, you know, Sherry and I got just a little taste of it two weeks ago Monday when we took Austin to the airport and this recruiter was right there. And we, and we, we I, know, I know that feeling, that moment right there when you're, when you're saying, I can't go with you, but I just got to 
let you go and you're going and God's going to do all this. But he couldn't be in the army and be at my house. He had to go be trained. Well, it starts with the decision. Men, I'm saying all that to say, in a moment, I'm going to ask you to come forward. It starts with the decision. That decision is just saying, God, I want to follow you. You don't have to be as radical as I am, but you need to be radical because the world is radical. You don't have to be as loud as I am, but you'd better get a little bit louder than you've been because your silence ain't helped anybody, right? Come on, am I telling the truth today? So, I mean, I'm not saying do everything that I do. God forbid that one is enough in that sense. But I'll tell you what, be, be, be responsive to the work of the Holy Spirit. I, what I would like to ask in a moment of time, I, I had these printed up for us guys today, and I'm going to personally, if you allow me to, you know, when I was here for Mother's Day, Sherry and I stood side by side, and we put these, you know, gave the ladies a flower. I've got a little specially made-up bracelet that says, Mighty Men of Valor, specially ordered in O.D. Green. That's olive drab if you were not in the military. And it's just something that just says, you know, God, I, I, that way maybe when you wear it, you'll pray and you'll say, God, you know, that's, that's what I want to be, God, to my family. I want to become famous in the house of my family. Unnamed to others, but not unknown by my family. Famous in the house of their fathers. I just want to be the person God's called me to be. Our heads bowed, eyes closed in the name of Jesus. Today, today. Holy Spirit, help us. Help me. Help me today. Help me today, Father, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Men that call us to you. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, a radical preaching like this today, I don't know what it has done for you, but I, I just want you to know you're so loved by the Father. He sees such value in your life. He's called you. He's called you for a purpose. You may have lived way below that purpose up until this time, but today you just say, I'm, I'm selling out to the will of God. I'm selling out to the purpose of God. Hearts are just hungry for the Lord in the name of Jesus. So if, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, then let me give you that invitation. Is there anybody, male or female alike? I don't know. God can use the crowing of a rooster to bring conviction to Peter's heart. Even my radical preaching might, might have allowed the Holy Spirit to pierce your heart to accept Christ as Savior. Is there anybody here today that says, Today, Pastor, I want to accept Christ as my Savior. Pastor, would you pray with me? Because I'll pray right where you're at. Right where you're at. Is there anybody here today? Anyone at all? Anyone? Secondly today, men, you know, I've, I've used you today as the vein for me to minister to this whole fellowship. Just like Israel, it started with the men and it traveled to all the, to all the nation. The Bible says that men would pray everywhere with holy hands lifted high. Just a moment, I'm going to ask you to do something just a little bit courageous. It may be outside of the normal way that you do things, but I'm going to ask you in just a moment to just come to the front of this church and just in your own way before the Lord, just pray. Just slip your hands up before the Lord. You don't have to be very high. And if that's the case, then you're going to let me. I'm going to come by and I'm going to put one of these bracelets right on your wrist. I don't want you to take it from me. I want you to let me give it to you because it's just my way of saying that I'm trusting that God is doing something in your life that there's a shift and a change that's being made and the climate of your family is about to change because you're becoming the person God's calling you to be. Many of you are already headed that direction. Many of you are already there. You're already mighty men of valor, and I thank God for that. Others of you can become. You can become. You're not there yet, but you can be in Christ. Christ will enable you. He will change you. He will empower you. You can be that person. So if you're here today, men, today, I want to ask this fellowship. I want to ask the men of this church that will, that will just come to the, to the front right now. And I hope I have a mass exodus uh, that's to the front, not to the back, and that will come forward. And just take a moment to just begin to pray.